Hello, everybody, and welcome to the debut episode of the As It Stands podcast. We're here, finally, after much, much deliberation between us. We've, we've finally pulled the plug, and, and we're, we're doing it. We're seeing how we get on. Our aim is to provide not-so-expert analysis on all things football, from match previews to match reviews. We'll discuss the latest transfers in the summer and, obviously, in the January window, too. And we will digest all of the talking points from the previous fixtures in the Premier League, as well as a look ahead to the upcoming matches. John, I'm delighted to be here. I am as well. Um, anyone who knows us personally will know how analytical um, and passionate we can get when we talk about football. So this is sort of our way of doing something more constructive with that. Yeah, so I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to it, yeah. We thought, why not give other people the opportunity to listen to the absolute drivel that comes out of our It's just waffling for about, yeah, however long. Well, we've got lots to cover in the opening episode, predominantly focusing on the return of the Premier League, which we will touch upon. But I feel like there's only one place to start, and ironically, that's outside of England, and that is a certain Lionel Messi's move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain. One that took the world by storm, but not potentially by surprise or shock. There have been a few hints as in years gone by when he signed his new deal. He was very cross with the owners, tried to get his way. Um, I know you'd previously mentioned to me personally as a power play, which I'm sure you'll touch upon. Is this a move that you could ever see happening? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Um, it is really weird. It is, well, it's, the, it's the biggest story in European football for many, many years. Uh, you know, one of, if not the greatest player of all time, of, of modern times anyway, to, uh, you know, has left his boyhood club after 27 years. It's it's a little bit maddening. It's not really set in for me yet. You know, I've seen him in the PSG shirt and everything like that, but it's not really set in. I still think of him, I probably will still think of him as a Barcelona, predominantly as a Barcelona player. Um, and, 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 yeah, you know, as you said, there's been a lot of, build, you know, build-up to, if you call it that, um, over the last couple of years. I had the saga last season. Um, which I maintain was a power play for uh, for change, to push for change at Barcelona. Um, I didn't think he ever really truly wanted to leave. And I think his reaction at the press conference, I think, what, last week now? Um, I think that, you know, justified my, my opinion that he never wanted to leave. And the fact that he's now been forced to leave out of his own hand because of the goings-on at the club... Um, you know, almost makes it a sad story in a way for him. Com- completely agree. And you've, you've touched upon two or three really key points that we'll, we'll dive a little bit more into. We'll look at the impact that Lionel Messi is obviously going to have on this already on paper strong Paris Saint-Germain side and the ramifications it will leave for Barcelona side without their talisman. But taking a step aside from the football and looking at it from a more financial uh, viewpoint, the situation that Barcelona have found themselves in, got themselves in, it's it's a mess. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, they, can't reg- they can't register their signings. That's how bad it is. Hmm. Players like Memphis Depay, Sergio Aguero, all on the brink of not being able to be registered by La Liga because of this cap that they've got going on. Yeah. Where the yeah. latest report is them needing £140-plus million pounds to, to actually generate enough. Yeah, it, and... It's, sorry, it's testament to how deep the financial um, ruin is when uh, it came out that even if Lionel Messi stayed at Barcelona and played for free and didn't take a penny off them, that still wouldn't be enough. They wouldn't even be able to register Messi. That's just that just gives you an idea of um, how dire the situation is for them. And I, I suppose they can take solace in the fact that maybe the likes of Aguero and Depay can get registered outside of a transfer window. I'm not sure exactly how reliable that information is, but they are free transfers. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very tricky situation to be in um, for, for everyone. You know, Ronald Koeman signs these players, kind of doesn't even get a chance to play them. And it's a shame in a way because they had an exciting squad on paper. You know, loads of people were dreaming, you know, dreaming to see an Aguero messy link up that wasn't with Argentina. You know, in club football, and mm. and that, and you know, because of Barcelona's situation, that you know, that will probably never happen now, considering their ages. 
and looking away from the ruins that it's almost left Barcelona in, on the complete flip side of that, and conversely, you've got a Paris Saint-Germain side that look as strong as I've ever seen a front three, especially with, you know, Messi, Neymar and Kylian Mbappe. I mean, they are a force to be reckoned with this season, Paris Saint-Germain. And I almost want to say the pressure that Mauricio Pochettino now has on him to deliver that elusive Champions League trophy. Yeah, yeah, it'll be enormous pressure because he's now on top of the um, outstanding quality he's already got um, through the transfer window. They've now signed, you know, one of, if not the best player in the world. That's almost like the icing on the cake, you know. And mm. it's an incredible power play by PSG and a statement of intent. I mean, feasibly, I, I, I think many people believe that only two clubs would be able to afford Messi, uh, PSG being one and Man City being the other. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for it to actually go through and happen, and it happened really quickly as well. It happened really quickly. We obviously don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but the, well, it was reported very, very quickly. Uh, and it, it's a massive statement of intent from PSG, and I have to go out and get, have to go all out and win the Champions League. Now, winning the league, winning the League Cup is not going to be enough mm. um, for, for PSG to be labelled as a success. And that is enormous pressure, but you bring that pressure on when you get the kind of players that you've got in your team now. Mm, I mean, they arguably have probably the best teams in Europe. For sure. I mean, you've briefly, obviously, we've touched upon Lionel Messi's move and you, you started to mention there. I mean, they didn't even win the league title last year, Paris Saint-Germain, and already Pochettino has reacted with signings of, you know, Jean, Jean-Luigi Donnarumma, Jorginho Wijnaldum, Sergio Ramos, Hakimi now Messi, on top of an already strong side with the likes of Marquinhos, uh, Verratti. Really as well, of course. I've seen um, a few media outlets display a sort of 4-2-3-1 with Messi uh, playing behind the striker, Di Maria on the right. So you can easily have an an incredibly talented front four as well as 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 a front three. I mean, I would fear. I'd love to see Bayern Munich line up against them, obviously current giants but I would fear any any team who have to draw those in in the Champions League qualification stages and the and the groups in the round of 16 whatever it is the sheer fear that that team strikes in the opponent's eyes is enough to to sort of drag them through here and like we said Pochettino has a a heck of a task on his hands but he couldn't be doing it with a, a better crop of players realistically yeah yeah I mean he's I mean, he's got, he's got, he's been gift wrapped to these players. He's got to go and do it now. That's the key thing. And for for him as well, obviously, he came close with with Tottenham a few seasons back. For him now, it's breaking his final hoodoo. And he's, I don't think you could hand pick any better players to drag himself over the line. But yeah. we've discussed the the biggest transfer around the world. If we draw it in a little bit close to home in the big deal that was agreed last week that includes Premier League champions Manchester City in their £100 million signing of the Villa captain Jack Grealish. A deal that we could see happening. You know, the the chairman's statement for Aston Villa when he came out with it after the transfer had gone through was phenomenal, the way he communicated with the fans. They knew that this day would come. You know, why wouldn't you? Jack Grealish is a talisman. He was a hot topic of conversation during the Euros they knew this day was coming and the way that they forward planned for it and protected themselves by identifying the three signings that they wanted which we'll touch upon and putting the quote-unquote release clause in his contract and it just goes to show a a team like Manchester City 100 million yeah let's go come over what will he bring to this already prolific Manchester City side um, this transfer has always sort of struck me as a bit of a weird one. Uh, no doubt that Jack Grealish is a quality player and there's no doubt that he will fit in with the system at City. Um, they almost play to his strengths of, you know, uh, sort of very creative technical football. But, like, I mean, there's been questions of do they need Grealish because they've got players in that position who have done well for Pep Guardiola and now have done well for the club over the years. It's, not, it's never really been seen as a weakness, per se, in a team. I mean, many people have pointed to the fact that with Aguero now leaving for Barcelona, that they only really have one out-and-out striker in Gabriel Jesus, um, oh. who's, uh, I, I'd say, I mean, he's a good player, he's, but he's had many frequent um, stages of misfiring. And I, I guess that's why many people would have 
probably seen Kane make the move before Grealish. Uh, and, and especially for the fee as well. I mean, obviously it's come out in that video message you just mentioned that the £100 million paid was actually, in fact, a release clause. And, you know, just thinking in hindsight, would City have paid £100 million if the release clause wasn't there? Because obviously... The release, the, the, the release clause states the market value, but there's almost no negotiating beyond that point. And in fact, they said in that video that there were offers below the £100 million margin, but they were simply not entertaining it. Mm. I just wonder if there wasn't a release clause there, would Villa and City have a bit more of an open discussion rather than it just be Villa was like, you need £100 million before we even consider talking to you. Mm. Um, and um, it's so... so uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not worth 100 million. It's not really for me to say. I can say that he's a, an exceptional player in Man City. You've got an, uh, an incredible talent, another incredible talent in their ranks. But yeah, maybe he, maybe he is that little bit of spark of quality that will. Because they themselves have also had a bit of hoodoo in the Champions League. They have also been spoken about that not progressing in the competition or not really being taken seriously, a la PSG. So maybe this is their statement of intent it's an incredible statement of intent to spend such a huge amount of money on such a quality player so maybe this is their statement of intent that they're, they're of course they're going to go for it. they got to the final last year didn't quite um get over the last hurdle um at the expense of chelsea uh, of course they're not going to back down they get from that they're going to see if they can go just one step ahead and mm. they've got their man for that which they believe is jack Grealish. and we'll take our first glance at the opening round of the premier league fixtures slightly earlier than anticipated. Manchester City do obviously travel to, to Tottenham on the Sunday for their opening game. Do you see Jack Grealish starting said game? And if so, in expense for who? I think he... Oh, good. Right, well... Um, <laughs> I, I was aware with the question, at expense of who? Um, well, obviously, I mean, probably a more like light one. Probably, uh, but, I mean, Bernardo Silva has been heavily linked with a move away. And that's been ramped up since Grealish has survived. Um, I honestly don't know. It's it's weird uh, predicting a Man City lineup because Pep Guardiola has so many different ideas of what he wants to do with his players, particularly with the whole strikerless formation that he had going for them last season. I could, I, I mean, I expect him to start. I mean, what, what would you what would you see them doing for the Spurs game? It's like you said, it's a Manchester City side who are blessed with talent and a manager who you would trust with absolutely anybody and it's a Manchester City side that on paper don't need a Jack Grealish but Jack Grealish is the exact signing for Manchester City that still takes them to that next level I mean it's a Manchester City team that that won the league last year they haven't finished outside of the top two in the last four years and even then they finished third a team with since the certainly since the arrival of Ruben Diaz last year and the uh, the rise of John Stones again, him being back in form. It's a Manchester City side that if you look on paper, there are no real areas that you can pinpoint where they needed to strengthen. But I just think Jack Grealish gives a little bit of competition for place. It's up to Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva to say, OK, am I going to step up here or am I going to be forced into a move away from the club? I can see him playing. I can see him playing regularly. Um, and I can see him having a real impact on this already hot and firing Manchester City side. And on paper, yet again, they look absolutely threatening. Yes, I mean, they've, yes. only, they've only brought in two real guys in this in this window. And if Jack Grealish is one of them, you know, I don't want to take any credit away from Scott Carson, but I don't think he's going to have <laughs> the, the impact that City. Yeah. If City do manage to go and get themselves a Harry Kane, for example, obviously the, the, the fresh latest coming out now is that a £150 million bid is to be prepared. Really? Harry Kane is only going to retrain, retrain? Harry Kane is only going to return to Tottenham training tomorrow on the Friday. Do you see him starting for Tottenham on uh, a Sunday against Man City? No, I don't. If you have a Harry Kane available in terms of fitness, does he not start? Well, he, well, I mean, he's missed training all week, so if he's fit, then um, the Harry Kane situation is a really weird one, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it at a bit of length. But uh, I mean, I can't see him. Well, I don't. I, it all depends because obviously the, the big thing was that he hadn't spoken to Nuno when he went on a, you know, when he went on his little strike. 
So I, 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 it all depends on what um, Nuno thinks. I imagine that Nuno is the type of manager who will put the team first. And if he feels that the team will be at a disadvantage if Kane starts because of what's been going on behind the scenes, then it'll put him on the bench. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think Nuno will play it smartly and um, make the decision accordingly. A big I'm really being on the fence with someone else, as I do apologise. Yeah, no, you are going to sit as firmly on that fence as you can. Touching on Nuno, obviously, first season, Tottenham manager, first real big test for him, you know, massively overachieved at Wolves um, in terms of the football that he played and the way he got there, obviously, first in the Championship, back-to-back seventh-place finishes in his first two back in the Prem before the 13th place finish last season. It's a real step up for him to really sort of dig his heels into a better side and say, actually, you know, I can stand up and be accounted for. In terms of their window thus far, they've lost nobody, potentially bar all of that you go, that's going to hurt Tottenham. You know, the likes of Danny Rose, Gazaniga, always on the fringes, Juan Foyth has spent the last two years with Villarreal anyway. Whereas the introduction and the signings and actually the calibre of signing in terms of Romero from Atlanta, Gallini too. I'm just wondering for this first season for Nuno, is he going to go down the approach of, I'm here to be counted for, I'm a top six manager for a reason, or is he going to want time that I don't think Daniel Levy is going to give him? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting appointment um, for both parties actually. Uh, it's a uh, it's a logical step up for Nuno because, as you said, with his achievements of Wolves, they've been up and around. Especially, well, not quite last season. Last season, I think, was a disappointment for Wolves' standards. Obviously, they had the mm-hmm. you know horrific injury to Raúl Jiménez, which set them back a plenty. Um, but with Nuno, it, he was very much in charge of a Wolves side that were flirting in that region of top 10, potentially European places, when they weren't really expected to be there. And now Nuno's at a club where they are expected to be there. So um, he's no, he no longer has that sort of protective net where if, they don't, if they're not there, nobody expects them to be. But if they are there, it's a fantastic achievement and he gets a lot of praise. You know, it's it's very much cutthroat now. If he's not in that, if he's not in that top six, top seven, you know, uh, I don't know if people will call for his head straight away. Um, but people, the pressure will certainly be on. It's a very, very different type of uh, managerial job. Uh, he's now got, he's now expected to be there rather than get there uh, with a club that is expected to be a bit lower down, a bit mid table. It is, and it's a big season for a Spurs side who, for me, are massively, massively on the decline. And I know on paper that's a a statement that potentially comes out of nowhere, but five years ago Spurs were finishing second in the league. They haven't finished in that height, you know, in the last five seasons, second, third, fourth, sixth and seventh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, and I think the thing with Spurs is the transition from a manager like Mauricio Pochettino to a manager like Jose Mourinho. Hmm. Uh, both quality managers, but for two very different reasons. And I think they sort of they, their, their biggest Achilles heel was the was, was the struggle of transition. Hmm. You know, and people called that out when Mourinho signed. Um, Pochettino was very much about getting these young and upcoming players and bringing them to their full potential thanks to coaching and, and playing them. You look at Deli Alley and Harry Kane was thriving, coming through the youth ranks under Pochettino. He was almost the perfect manager for Kane at that point in his career. Mm. Um, and then you get a manager like Mourinho, who wants the experience and that pedigree straight away. Uh, he, and he works best with experienced players. And he's often been criticised for ignoring the, the developing players at clubs. Uh, obviously, you had the whole Deli Alley and Jose Mourinho spat that lasted pretty much throughout his whole time at Spurs. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think they've ever really recovered from that transition, which inevitably led to Mourinho sacking. Um, uh, question of timing, all that you will, I think that was always sort of going to happen at some point, just because it was such a mismatch, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, yeah, I think they're still on the recovery from that. Um 
I think Nuno is more in the direction of where Tottenham want to do what um, of what Tottenham and Levy want to do. Um, so yeah, maybe this is the road to recovery for Spurs. It's a big season for them, no doubt. It's a big season. It's a huge season, and put the whole Harry Kane saga to the side, you know, as of now, because if if Kane stays, it, the points are valid. If Kane goes, it's a completely different argument. It is, and you touched upon it. Uh, very briefly a moment ago and it's perfect it is a massive season for Deli Alley. 15 appearances last year in a Spurs shirt one assist didn't find the net it was very clear from Mourinho himself and certainly from the behind the scenes of the um, documentary that came out about Tottenham too that Mourinho didn't like Deli Alley. Deli Alley didn't like Mourinho it didn't work he didn't play uh, Mason came in I think gave Deli Ali the, the starts in the remainder of his games. Nuno's come in, Delhi's fired in pre-season. It's a huge season for him, not forgetting that he's still in his mid-twenties. It's a massive, massive season for him to almost repay the, the dent that Gareth Bale is going to leave in that Spurs side. You know, 11 goals last year for Bale, third highest scorer in Tottenham season. Yeah. It, it's it's a weight that Deli Ali's now got to start to lift off and go. Actually, I need to be counted for because he has been a passenger for this Tottenham side for far too many seasons now. Yes, yes, and it's uh, I think it's testament to the faith that Nuno has shown in him that he hasn't gone out and got a direct replacement for. But I mean, he's got Brian Brian uh, was it Gill or Jill? Yeah, either or depends how you say. <laughs> uh, from Roma, uh, but that was almost that was a straight swap for Lamella, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. So that was almost that covered. And I think it's sort of testament to the faith that Nuno has in Delhi that he's not gone out and got a direct replacement for Bale. He, he wants Ali to fill that gap now left in that Spurs squad. Uh, obviously, you've got Son as well, who I think is an incredibly incredible player. I was going to say overlooked, but he's not overlooked because I think the general gist in the footballing world is that he is world class. Yeah. Uh, and he is... As, he, he is as important to Spurs as Kane is, mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a big se- it's a big season for or everyone: Tottenham, uh, Deli Ali, and Nuno Esposito Santo. Yeah, and Nuno does leave a Wolves side who we'll, we'll touch upon them now as they travel to Leicester on on Saturday in their opening game. It's a Wolves side that it's a real worry to look at them as a team and to look back on their statistics like 17 defeats last season for Wolves 36 goals scored 52 conceded their top score was um, Ruben Neves with five um, you know they created 28 big chances last season the lowest out of anybody in the league mm. you the, the the job that that Bruno Lag Lagi Lage who the pronunciation that Bruno <laughs> has got as the new Wolves manager is you almost got to instill that little bit of quality back into this Wolves side, which they which they tried the, in the three signings that they've made. You know, Ryan Alnuri from Angers, the striker, um, Saar from Olympiacos, and the youngster Trincao from Barcelona. It's going to take a lot more to fix Wolves than that. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't quite share that sentiment. I think last the last season uh, for Wolves, you almost have to. Well, if this season goes well, um, then you can sort of consider last season as a bit of a write-off. Obviously, I've, I think I briefly mentioned it earlier, that horrific injury to Val Jimenez, who was by far and large the most prolific player in terms of goal scoring and, and just being a general threat. Everything, most things that were good about Wolves came through him. He was a, very much the main vocal point of that, of that side. Mm-hmm. And it's just testament. So... Uh, sort of conjuring up some stats earlier and Wolves averaged uh, a goal rate of 1.1 per game before Jimenez's injury and then after the injury they went for a run straight away they went for a run of four goals in six games which just shows you the massive impact that Raul Jimenez mm-hmm. has on that Wolves team and you know the, the, the recovery he's had has been amazing um, or he's had a good Pre-season. I think Wolves have had a generally positive pre-season in, gen- uh, in general. Um, I might be mistaken, um, but yeah. And uh, obviously, obviously, the big thing for Bruno. Uh, Le- well, how do you say it? Uh, no idea. I'm going with Bruno. Okay, Bruno. Um, <laughs> their, their new manager 
the big challenge for them is to sort of take some of the weight off of Val Jimenez's shoulders because while it's incredible that you have such a prolific goal scorer and such a vocal point of the team, as last year demonstrated, the moment they're out of that team, you, the whole team suffers. Yeah. So I think the uh, acquisition of a new striker, obviously they've got Fabio Silva, which has never really kicked on, has it? Yeah. It's a successful transfer. They paid an outrageous fee for him as well, didn't they? Uh, four goals and three assists as his return last season for a £35 million price tag. It's a £35 million, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, not quite worked out the way they saw it, I think. But with the acquisition of new strike, uh, another striker to sort of give a little bit, not competition, but also a bit of versatility to that position as well, mm. um, will sort of alleviate some of the pressure on him. I'm sure he, fr- uh, he clearly thrives on the pressure, clearly loves leading that side. But I think, yeah, I think they went by the right business by getting another striker. Um, in terms of the players they need, I'm not quite sure exactly what they need. Um, I mean, they've got a, t- uh, you know, he, he's he's very early in his managerial career, but Bruno's already a title winner, of course, winning the league with his previous club, Benfica. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be interesting. There'll be an interesting watch. It could go, it could go either way. It can go either way. But I'm, I think I'm a bit more positive about Wolves than you are. <laughs> let's, let's see if you are after the first three games of the season, as they have Leicester away, Spurs at home, United at home. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Get get back to me in a few weeks. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting season. I mean, obviously, three games into a season is nothing, as you know, we've seen plenty of times before. Mm. And it's it's a good start for them because I in in a way it's a very incredibly tough fixtures, but they can test their metal, as it were, and realise what they need to do to you know compete again as they did under Nuno, where they were previously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from the Midlands to North to North London, and we'll, we'll, we'll trudge our way over to Arsenal, a sensitive subject um, for most, especially Arsenal fans. They kicked the Premier League off with the trip to Brentford on Friday night, a Brentford side with absolutely nothing to lose. Um, you know, their debut in the Premier League after a superb season via the playoffs last Sorry. year. So I thought you were going to say nothing to play for. I'm like, are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> nothing to lose mentality for Brentford, yeah. you know as it is with a newly promoted side, you know, and Thomas Frank has done a serious job since taking over from Dean Smith. We'll, we'll, we'll touch upon Brentford first before we dare to go near Arsenal. <laughs> Expectations for Brentford, nice and low, anything by relegation will do, or should they actually take a leaf out of the likes of Wolves, Book, who when they came up, went straight for it? I think you hit the nail on the head, they've got nothing to lose. It's their first ever season in the Premier League. It's their first season in top flight football for, what, 80 years? Or mm. in something incredible like that? It's a dream come true for, for Brentford fans. Um, they're, they're, in, they're in the promised land, so to speak, if we want to get a bit pompous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. They've got nothing to lose. And yes, I think they should be positive. They're in the Premier League. They want to assert, They should be looking to assert themselves. But Thomas Franks is a smart manager and I think they'll approach matches in different ways, uh, which is, I think, normal uh, for clubs, especially clubs first time in the Premier League. They need to figure out how they how they can operate successfully in the league without mm. going into danger. Uh, I think that sort of discipline and tenacity is what they need to stay up. But, I mean, they've got some exciting players in their team, uh, for sure. And they've played some good football last season on their way to being promoted. It's, it's very much a different wheelhouse now. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see how they how they uh, play tomorrow. against. The, uh, obviously, the atmosphere will be incredible. Mm, a big cool. team like Arsenal uh, going to Brentford. Um, it, it'll be an incredible watch, uh, just for sheer atmosphere and the occasion. Um, yeah, I, pers- I personally, just for, the, just for the occasion alone, I can see Brentford pulling a shock on the opening day. That'll be an incredible statement of intent mm. for the rest of the season. And it will be a huge amount of confidence to the players. But yeah, I think it's they've got to be a bit mixed. I think they should be looking to insert themselves in matches in the league. I mean, um, there's an interesting piece this morning. I'm rambling a bit. There's an interesting piece I read this morning on uh, Twitter when I was making my notes about Thomas Frank. Mm. And... Um, 
how he actually had a really poor start. I think he won two of his first 14 games in charge and they went from 6th to 18th or something incredible like that. Yeah, and, in his first season. Yeah, yeah. so it, it was a mixed bag. But the Brentford board apparently judged him on XG performance. Um, and the interesting thing about their turgid run of form when he first came in was they weren't getting anywhere near the results that they wanted, but the XG performance was there. Now, there's obviously been this whole debate about how legitimate is XG in terms of determining whether your team played well and, you know, the, the whole story of a football match. But the Brentford board saw the high levels of XG that they were achieving in spite of the results and realised that, they were, you know, to them, they were giving off good performances. And so that's why they stuck with Thomas Frank and now they're in the Prem. So I think they'll try and be positive and assertive and put their mark to a lot of teams this season. I think Arsenal can expect a tough game from an attacking orientated side. Oh, rightfully so. I mean, in the space of a decade, um, Brentford have gone from League 2 to Premier League football. I think the interesting, before we move on to Arsenal, that poison chalice of a, a conversation, um, <laughs> the fact that they have kept hold of 31 goal in the champ last season, Ivan Tony, is a real whether the offers for him have been there, the interest has been there for a club like Brentford to keep that talisman, a bit like Norwich with Pookie when he came up, keeps that club gelled. I mean, they've only let nine players go so far this window, five have been released, so you know that that's a, a given anyway. But they've kept the unity of the squad together. They haven't gone and done a Fulham and bought 15 different players for Lord knows how much money. They've kept the squad yeah. tight, kept it together. Yeah. And They're signing of Christoph. Asia from Celtic, the centre-back, yeah. is, is what? It's a superb signing. It really is. And, um, you know, with Arsenal, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, Brighton and Wolves all in their first five, Brentford really will fancy themselves to pick up that first goal, pick up that first three points as quickly as possible. And it could even happen as early as Friday night against Arsenal. Mm. Yeah. Dare, dare we touch upon this Arsenal side? Dare we? <laughs> Uh, you, yes, come on, you've been looking forward to this moment since the start of the podcast. <laughs> I think it's uh, look, I think it's going to be it's a really easy one on paper to write Arsenal off, and I think off the back of the last two seasons under Arteta, certainly watching Arsenal closely, you you can see the improvements. You know that the defensive record that was there certainly towards the back end of last season, it, it's it's evident and it's something to build on. Personally, I don't think that Arsenal have taken it in their grasps and their and their stride to to build. You know, the first three weeks of the transfer window, Nuno Tavares came in, Sambi Lokonga, Ben White, and you're thinking, brilliant. There's your first team centre back that you needed. There's your backup left back, your backup midfielder. But there's there's been nothing there since. And you know, talks with Martin Odegaard and James Madison are going to drag on till the end of time. I just feel like it's an Arsenal side that. Excuse me. You feel that every Arsenal fan and every football fan knows exactly what's wrong with the club, except for those at the club. You know, this team is screaming out for a creative midfielder. I'd even go as far as saying it's screaming out for another striker. You know, Lacazette carried the club last season. Aubameyang was a skeleton of the player that he once was. Um, you know, Pepe needs to start stepping up, and it's it really is this injection of youth that Arsenal are going to go for with the likes of Bakayo Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, certainly in attacking areas that a club like Arsenal shouldn't be reliant on and the players that they have. Um, you know, 12 clean sheets in the season last year, five individual errors that led to goals. I think the majority of those were David Luiz himself. <laughs> the, the big one for me is the 45 big chances created, the 14th lowest in the entire Premier League. Uh, you don't really associate that sort of thing with Arsenal, do you? You don't, not in the slightest. And when you look at the amount of deadwood, so to speak, that is at the club, you know, Arsenal have let David Luiz go for free, which we knew was coming. Other than that, it's William Saliba and Matteo Guendouzi on loan, both to Marseille, who, A, not a single transfer fee has come in for. So if Arsenal do need to sell to buy, why is it the middle of August and it's still not happened? And two, those are probably two players that Arsenal don't need to get rid of. You've got a Lucas Torreira who hasn't played in over a year. A Sayed Kalasinac that's still at the club. Willock on his way to, to Newcastle, of course. 
you you just feel with Arsenal that you just don't know what you're going to get. And on paper, I cannot see an Arsenal push for top four. I really can't. I don't know if you feel any different without the the bias. Uh, well, you, yeah, I think uh, in in conversations pre-podcast, um, I think we both had the same sentiment regarding Arsenal in Arteta. Um, I think there are a few quality players short of a top four finish. Uh, and I think the areas that you've marked for improvement, I agree with. It's it's a it's a massive season. It's, a, it's Arteta's biggest season as yeah. Arsenal manager because I think the frustrating thing for Arsenal fans is that it's not really clicked. I don't know about you, but I I've looked at this Arteta's reign, and there's I've not been really a moment for me where I feel like it's it's clicked. I know what Arteta's bringing to this team, and I I, I can see them pushing forward of it. But I, I think the closest I ever came to that realization was when Saka and Smith Rowe had a more prominent part to play in 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 the team. Yeah, I've never uh, yeah for me it's never really clicked yet, and I think it needs to click this season, otherwise the frustrations will boil over. I mean, I, I some would argue the, the the click came from the FA Cup triumph, obviously beating Manchester City in the semi final, Sheffield United in the. In, in the final, I believe, and then obviously the final against Chelsea. But from then on, it never, it never pushed on. It never. Okay. It seemed okay. like the Premier League and the FA Cup were two very separate com- competitions, and the FA Cup Arsenal was a different monster to the the Premier League Arsenal. Yes. Yeah. Which the latter was was diabolical, as we know. But the the comparison between Arteta and Unai Emery is is prominent. It's going to be there. It's understandable. I think the football we play under Arteta is better. I think the ethos around the club with Arteta is better. But back to back finishes in eighth place compared to Unai Emery's sole fifth place in a Europa League final. It leaves much to be desired. You know, if Arteta wasn't a quite say a club legend, but if Arteta hadn't played for the club, would he be getting this much? leeway as if he was just a regular Joe getting the job? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, I, I don't know. The cracks were sort of appearing for Unai Emery a few months before um, he was dismissed. It's almost as if the Arsenal board act quite late in terms of managerial departures. I mean, of course, you go back to Wenger, people were calling for his head two seasons before he left. And of course, he, that's different because he sort of left at the end of the season. Uh, whether that was him saying that that's enough for me or whether they said that we won't be renewing your contract, we'll be letting you go, is obviously, you know, uh, is known between them two and no one else. But um, like I said, it's a massive season for Arteta. Will he get sacked? I think if the season's bad enough, but I think they would, they'd only be called into action if it was a complete disaster. Yeah, I think that's the way the Arsenal board operate, and I think that's what frustrates Arsenal fans the most. That everyone else can sort of see it before them, and when they see it, it's often too late, or the damage has already been done. But the patience needs to be there. Yeah, Brentford away. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you if you hire a manager as inexperienced as Mikel Arteta, you're not going to expect instant results. And yeah, you mentioned the FA Cup win, and that's when it clicked. It still didn't click then for me because it was quite early into his managerial tenure. And mm. the fact that I've, I, don't, I don't think they started that particular season in the greatest run of form either after following on from the two final victories, um, which, you know, fits in well to the fact that they didn't push on. Um, yeah, it's a, big, it's a big season. I don't think they necessarily, not a big season in terms of Either they win the silverware or it, you know, it all ends. They just need to be competitive. Mm-hmm. In cop competitions, in the Premier League, they haven't got Europe hanging over their heads. Um, they don't have that burden on them. So they just need to be competitive in the league and in the cups. Of course. And it's a, it's a, like you said, it's a, it's a telling season for Arteta and one that he's got to get a grip of. Otherwise, it's, it's back to square one. But from yeah, one he, side, of, he's got to get it right in my book. 
from one side of London to the other in, in Chelsea, who uh, it's, it's just breaking now that Lukaku won't be available for the game against Palace on Saturday, but should be for the trip to Arsenal. Joy. Um, Chelsea, for me, are my hot favourites for the title. Um, I think Manchester City have a better squad. I'm going to massively contradict myself here. I really do fancy Chelsea to be that extra little push, not just because Lukaku's come in, but just what Tuchel was starting to implement into the season when he came in and certainly towards the back end of it. I think they've got a real opportunity to go and push. Do you see Chelsea as a title contender or is it City's to lose? I mean, I certainly see them as a title contender. I see quite a few title contenders this season, but especially Chelsea. I think the addition of Lukaku is an incredible signing. Because I mean, what a way to address the big problem with your squad last season, which mm-hmm. was goals and goal scorers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, their joint top goal scorer last season was Jorginho with seven, and I believe they were all penalties. <laughs> that really says what the problem was. And I think... People criticise Timo Werner for his finishing. Uh, he's a striker. His main job is to get goals. He's not done that job. I think he brings a little bit more to the team than people give him credit for uh, in the games that I've watched with him. Um, I didn't think he played too badly in the Champions League final. I thought he played very well. Um, but it's just goals. It's just goals. And it's a blunt sport sometimes. You need you need goals and you get one of the best goal scorers in Europe at the moment in Romelu Lukaku. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an incredible signing and has put them right up there for me. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Werner, six goals, eight assists last season. Do you see him challenging Lukaku for a one centre-forward spot or would Tuchel try and play both? Do you know, hmm, well, he might play both because that, assists, that assist um, stat is quite interesting, eight assists. Quite a lot for a striker and I think it does show that he does play to the strength of the team in some ways. Yeah. Um, but it's just the goals. It's just the goals. You, you saw that under Thomas Tuchel, he got the defensive aspect spot on. They were an absolute force to be reckoned with in terms of defending, but they would only win games by 1-0. Very, very tight games. And the fact that they've got, like I said, one of the best goal scorers in Europe and Lukaku now is a massive boost to that squad. Huge. It is huge. A quick word on Crystal Palace before we, we waffle on too much and, and don't get round to everyone. Um, Patrick Vieira, hell of a job he's got on his hands. Yeah. Appointment. Um, I think a couple of signings that they've pulled in Michael Elise and Joachim Anderson are Patrick Vieira pulls. Joachim, Joachim, yeah, Joachim Anderson is a fantastic son. I'm interested, I want to ask you, because you've mentioned that to me about the Patrick Vieira pulls. Obviously, outstanding player, world-class player. As a manager, though, do you think there's a pull there as a manager? Obviously, you have to judge him differently because he's doing something completely different now. Yeah. Um, something that he's still quite new to. Is is the pull as a player there when you're a manager, if that makes sense? I'd, I'd like to think so. I mean, um, you know, you have a look at Crystal Palace's signings over the years and Iberieze stands out, and that was a Roy Hodgson signing. But um, Michael Elise is a very, very similar player. Smashing it in the championship. Reading deserves to step up and he's got it. That Joachim Anderson, after a wonderful season with Fulham and out of favour at Lyon, that's a huge pull. I could have seen him going to Leicester. I could have even seen him, you know, potentially going to a Spurs. That's a huge pull for Crystal Palace. And I do believe that there is that bit of pull where as a player, why would you not want to play under a Patrick Vieira? I, th- I think he's going to have a very interesting season. For me... Palace finish in the top 10 or Patrick Vieira goes at Christmas. It, it's it's very much going to be yeah, one of the it's, two. It's an incredibly risky um, appointment. And it, is it a risky one or is it risk-free? Because Patrick hasn't got the, the... might not have the managerial experience that you want in a Premier League side, but they've just had Roy Hodgson, who has the Premier League experience and have failed to finish in the top 10. So why not go with a fresh manager... No, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. And I guess they can be, you can say that they played it safe with the appointment of Roy Hodgson. Roy Hodgson's that sort of manager, you you sort of, you know what you're getting, which is incredibly important for teams down there, like a Burnley and a Sean Dyche, and then you get Palace and Roy Hodgson. It's that stability. And now they've got that stability, you make the step forward. And I guess that leads to risk-free appointments like that. And I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. You know, um, 
Palace let Sam Allardyce go in 2017 after finishing 14th and replacing with Roy Hodgson, you wanted that stability. They sacked Roy Hodgson after two 14th place finishes. Did they sack so, him before he just left? Or left, sacked, however, he's out of a job with Palace finishing 14th twice again. So as much as you want that stability and you want that... Yeah, obviously there's inevitably a time where you've got to push forward and try and make the way up. I think I think go for it. Top ten, top ten, always gone by Christmas. It's going to be one of the two. All right, should we should we touch upon your boys? Should we touch on West Ham who play on Sunday? Newcastle away. You've uh, yeah. been very vocal behind the scenes and personally with the lack of transfers. Yeah. To East London. Yeah. Has, yeah. I mean, you, you can yeah. analyse us all you want. We can be analytical about other teams. It's just simple with West Ham. We just need players. We just need players. We've got no squad depth. We've got one fit striker. And I say striker with quotation marks because he wasn't originally a striker. I mean, he had a fantastic season for us last season, on course to become our highest Premier League goal scorer ever. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, I mean, we, we, we just need numbers. We're in Europe now. We're in the Europa League group stage. We've got a tough Premier League schedule coming up. We've got the Cups. And we have one person that can play striker you know, we have one person that can play left wing because Felipe Anderson's gone now I mean Fornells can play there but I think um, I think Moyes prefers him on the right like straight swap for Jared Bowen yeah um, I mean Moyes has played Jared Bowen uh, up front quite a few times in the absence of Antonio last season and I noticed the, the strange trend with Moyes that's been going on he did it with Arnautovic, he's done it with Antonio, he's done it with Jared Bowen. He likes to sort of transform players' positions. Mm. He's done that with Presswell sometimes. He's sort of put him a bit more of a left centre-back role and that sort of almost revitalised him because, you know, you watch West Ham and you see Creswell and he's almost aimlessly hoofing it upfield whenever the ball gets near him and now he's very much interchangeable with midfield and his passing's a lot better, his defending's a lot better. He's become a much better player because he's been put in a different position and right now, when he goes back to his original left-back role, he's still just as good because I think that's opened up a new avenue to his game. So Moyes is credit... I can give a lot of credit to Moyes in terms of that side of his coaching. Uh, Lanzini as well has taken a much deeper role since his injury. I remember he played in the 2-1 win against Burnley last season in sort of like a deep-lying playmaker role. And he was great. He was fantastic. Um so, I mean, I, I guess I, I, he's almost, you can say that he's done that with forced at his hand because of our lack of squad depth. Mm. But we're in the Europa League place. We've far exceeded expectations, not just from West Ham fans, but from the general footballing view. And I think you just got to back in. You've just got to back in. Ariola is a really good signing, but he's the only signing we've made so far. Yes. At this late, you know, the season starts tomorrow. Um, you know, we've been linked with this Nikola uh, Milinkovic from uh, Florentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that's that been almost done for about a week, apparently. Um, reported fee of £18 million. Pounds. We just need numbers. We, we, we just, we can't be silly as well and just, just buy, buy, buy. And Moyes has been vocal about that in terms of he only wants to bring in players that will improve the team. He doesn't want to just buy numbers. Which I totally understand because we've got a great team ethic and, you know, a great harmony within the squad. And you can see it on the pitch. You can see it off the pitch. You don't want to ruin that by making the squad overcumbered with players that just don't fit. No, of course. So it's a double-edged sword, really. But I'm just looking at the squad depth and I'm just really concerned about our season. Yeah, it's uh, as you said, it's it's the coping and, and the demand of the Europa League, obviously playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. It's the the lack of squad depth, if you will, and it's also the 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 second season syndrome, if you like, of players like Kufal and certainly Suchek, who lit the dressing room alight last season. You know, Kufal seven assists, Suchek with ten goals. If players like that start to dip, and obviously without Lingard, if if the players that you were so heavily reliant last season begin to dip, you wonder. What's going to suffer? Is it going to be a very short-lived season in the Europa League? Is the league's form going to suffer? And you find yourself going from finishing in the Europa League place to, you know, back down to that bottom end of the 
the half of the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big season and it's, it's one, but, you know, we'll, we'll stick close to home. Do you fancy chances against Newcastle on Sunday? Uh, we don't really have a good record against Newcastle. Um, but we have played really well. I'm really excited by Ben Rama. I think he's mm. had a fantastic pre-season. Yeah, uh, I, think it, I think it'll be a score draw. Yeah? yeah. Uh, a, a Newcastle side that are craving goals. Uh, you know, Callum Wilson's 12 last season contributed to a quarter of their total goals in the Premier League. It's a, certainly if they bring in Willock, who was influential in the back end of their season. I feel like I've been saying it for a few years now, but it's really time for Miguel Almiron and Alan St. Maximum to just step up. I just feel like they go missing for six, seven weeks, pop up with a double or a hat trick, and then you kind of forget about them again. It's really time for both of those to, to start hitting the heights that they deserve. Yeah, yeah. But we've got five games to cover still. I appreciate the fact that we've, we're waffling, so we'll try and touch briefly. Uh, Manchester United leads on Saturday. Big season for United. Time for them to push on. Massive Big season for United because, uh, I mean, Sarsgaard's been backed heavily. Um, again, another big criticism of Oli is that um, he often misses it in the big matches. Of course, you look at the Europa League final last season, a lot of eyebrows were raised at his sort of tactical decisions in the match. He quite clearly played for penalties by the substitutions. Yeah. Um, it didn't work out. Uh, so I think they just... Uh, they need that little bit of spark uh, just to get some silverware down the line finally. May have got that in Jaden Sancho, really, really good sign-in. Mm. Uh, of Varane at the back as well. Varane and Maguire at centre-back is a very, very um, incredible centre-back pairing. A big season for them, massive season for them. It, it's interesting to see how they come up against the likes of Liverpool and City and Chelsea, who have made big signings. Yes, big season for Bruno as well. Heavily scrutinised for you know Manchester United being scoring 10 penalties last season, obviously the most in the league. Um, and the very disappointing Euros as well. Massively so for Portugal. Um, Cavani, obviously, absolute goal scorer. They must be delighted to be getting in for another year. But again, time for a, a Pogba and a Martial to step up and start chipping in a bit more. You know, 13 goal and assists between the pair of them last season is really not enough for players of that stature. But I think Man United will be up there. They'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah. Leeds, on the other hand, on the brink of announcing Bielsa's new contract as manager. Um, I think that after finishing ninth last year, I think the only thing I'll touch on with them, feel free to to continue unless we want to want to shift on, is this um, this desire to to praise Leeds for their football. Certainly, opening day of the season, what was it four three against Liverpool or whatever it was, and they got branded with this. Oh, they play such brilliant football and they're so exciting to watch, but they're spanking seven six seven goals a game and. I never really understood the the desire for football fans to to praise Leeds for their courage when they're shipping four or five goals week in, week out. I do get what you mean. Um, I don't think I was quite as irritated as as much as you were last season. I did notice it specifically after the 6-2 defeat to United. Yes. Um, That's when I was like, okay, no, you've got a bit of a point. But I'm a, I mean, they sort, they, they definitely found some momentum where both ends of the field they were very effective towards the end of the season. Um, I think they picked up quite a good bit of form, and uh, yeah, I'm quite excited by them this season. Keeping Bielsa is a no-brainer. Um, it's it, what makes them tick. Obviously, you've got uh, Jack Harrison on a permanent. I thought he was great for Leeds last season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, got him for quite a minuscule fee by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, um, I expect uh, I don't expect Leeds to struggle. No, not is it their second season? Yes. I mean, you hear second season syndrome, but I don't think I think Leeds will. I think Leeds will be fine. Yeah, I can't see him struggling, but I can't see him finishing Europa League. Junior Firpo, though, the Barcelona Spaniard that they've signed, hell of a yes. Yeah, like yeah, that. Um, we'll quickly talk on the rest. Burnley, Brighton. Uh, a Brighton side who, again, very la- lacklustre for goals. 41 scored last season, 46 big chances. Um, you know, no player scoring more than eight goals for them in the Premier League. But worth mentioning with, with Graham Potter's work, despite obviously, you know, losing Ben White, could 
could prove um, decisive, keeping hold of um, Basuma, bringing in Mwepu to play alongside him. They, I think after December, I think after Christmas time, they had the third lowest um, XG goals conceded in the entire league. So Graham Potter's doing something right with Brighton. Can't see them challenging anywhere beyond the 16th that they finished last season, personally. Yeah, I mean, the XG stats are incredible. And I guess this is where the argument comes back to XG, because they're one of the best performing, you said, defensively. Mm. They certainly are uh, offensively as well. But Mm. they just don't have the goals. And um, obviously, the more and more chances you have and you miss, the more pressure you put on yourself. And they just it's frustrating watching them because even from a neutral perspective, because they just seem to fall down the same rabbit hole game after game, most games. But yeah, I think will they go for a striker? They they should do really, because that's their big, big problem. I mean, it's uh, I said that Chelsea did that with Lukaku, okay, Brighton don't quite have anywhere near that money to spend. Mm. And I'm sure it's a it's an area that they've tried to address over the window. Um they were, they were linked with that um, Schick striker from uh, the Czech Republic. Yeah, Patrick Schick. Yeah. Um, I I, I, clearly, there's nothing been made of that because I didn't. I heard that during the Euros and then nothing since then. Yeah. Um, probably one of those cases of a name just being thrown about. But, mm. um, yeah, they just they need goals and they need goal scorers. That's the big thing that's holding them back. And they're, they're, they're another team that's often praised for playing attractive football. But there comes a point because they've often found themselves at the wrong end of the table. They were in, you know, a bit of a relegation scrap last season, constantly looking over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Again, it sort of begs the question: like, attractive football is all well and good, but when, how far will it, will, you, will you tolerate it before it goes against your team? Exactly. Um, just as we strike the hour mark, well aware that we haven't touched upon Everton, Southampton, Leicester, Watford, Villa, Norwich, and Liverpool. Saying it that way, I don't know what on earth we've yacked on about for the last hour or so, but we'll uh, we'll save the rest of those teams for another podcast. It's a shame. I was really looking forward to talking to Leicester. I think they're another team that's done really, really good business over the summer. Well, we'll uh, we'll hit those as soon as we can, especially another week into the transfer window as well. We might get a few more opportunities, but we're going to finish with a, a couple of predictions for the games. Don't need to give me specifics if you don't want to. Don't necessarily need a score, but you can call who's going to win it. Now we'll start with Brentford Arsenal. Uh, Brentford, I said that, Brentford. United Leeds? United. Burnley Brighton? Uh, I say Brighton can't score goals, didn't I? <laughs> um, Burnley Burnley yeah. Chelsea Palace? Uh, Chelsea. Everton Southampton? Is that uh, Everton? Yes. Do you know what? I'm going to say Southampton. Yeah, Rafa Benitez is going to struggle opening right day, yeah? Yeah, that's another, that's another one I want to talk about. We'll talk about that, obviously, in another one now. Of course. Le- uh, Le- Leicester Wolves? Uh, Leicester. Watford, Aston Villa? Big up Wolves. <laughs> um, uh... The new boys versus the... Yeah. Um, uh, Villa. We'll, yeah, we'll touch on Villa next week, certainly with their expenditure. They've been great. Uh, Norwich, Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool. Uh, no bias, Drew, please. Newcastle, West Ham. Score draw. I said score draw. I'm going to stick to my guns. And Spurs, Man City. Score draw. Ooh, sitting right on that fence. Um, I'm going to go Brentford, United, Brighton, Chelsea. You're going Brentford? Everton. <laughs> Leicester, Villa, Liverpool, West Ham, City. Why are you going Brentford? Can I just ask? Uh, I just feel like Arsenal, the pieces of the Arsenal puzzle aren't quite there, whereas the Brentford puzzle didn't need much adjustment. Um, the, The fans and the crowd are going to be so vital for pushing Brentford over the line. The the buzz from it being their first Premier League game. I think they'll they'll shake Arsenal and I think this Arsenal side is there for the taking. Hope I'm wrong. But I can see Brentford taking a fair few points in their first few games. If you have managed to last an hour and four minutes with us, then please give yourself a, a pat on the back. 
Um, as the podcast come more frequently, we'll, we'll cut the time down. We'll, we'll stop the waffling and, and condense it. We'll make some edits before we post this as well. Yeah, we'll, 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 try, we'll try and drop it down as, as best as we can. But appreciate listening as always. And John, my friend, I will see you next week. Yes. All right, take care of yourself. All the best. Thanks for listening, guys.